1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, February the 14th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On February 14th, 2018, a former student opened fire with a rifle at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School near Fort Lauderdale, you remember that, in Florida, killed 17 people the nation's deadliest school shooting since he attacked on Newtown. Today, in 1859, Oregon became the 33rd state of the Union. Today, in 1876, inventors Alexander Graham Bell and Elisha Gray applied separately for the patents that related to the telephone. The U.S. Supreme Court eventually had to decide which one got the patent. You know that Alexander Graham Bell got the patent. He was, according to the, according to the, uh, the court. He was the rightful inventor. Today, in 1912, Arizona became the 48th State of the Union. And today, in 1924, the Computing Tabulating Recording Company of New York was formally renamed International Business Machines Corporation, IBM. Today, in 1929, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre took place in Chicago in a garage Seven rivals of Al Capone's gang were gunned down. That was not a good day. Not a good Valentine's Day for those guys, for sure. I hope yours is much better. Today is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you and to my wife. It's been a number of years since we became each other's Valentine and got married. We've had a great life together. So happy Valentine's Day, Marjorie. I love you, honey. St. Valentine's Day has got a lot of myths associated with it. In fact, a number of myths. I mean, there's all kinds of stories as to how it evolved. I'm sure if you care about such things, you've chosen your story. I don't think any of my. I've read a lot of them and, and looked at them in the past quite carefully. I don't think any of them are for sure but there's a lot of stories attached to it. The one that probably is quoted the most is not the one that most of us want to be true. It's uh, generally, and I know most historians say this is probably what happened to bring about what we know as Valentine's Day. It wasn't very happy, but it uh, it was a feast day of two Christian martyrs named Valentine. Valentine was a very common name in those days, kind of like Smith is, you know, or Jones or something like that. It was a very common name. And uh, it was one priest and a physician, the other, uh, the bishop of Tierney, both are purported to have been beheaded on this day. The custom of sending handmade valentines to a loved one became popular during the 17th century. So it was long after that, and it was commercialized in the United States in the 1840s. So we won't spend any more time on how Valentine's Day became Valentine's Day, but it is, and Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Over the last few years, I have lost some of my interest in professional sports, and I'll tell you why I've mentioned it occasionally, not too often, but I've mentioned it a couple of times on this program, the reason I lost my interest was not in the sport itself it was in the fact that particularly professional athletes had turned the sport whether it was basketball or football primarily those two but baseball as well kind of into a uh, opportunity for them to tell the world what they're supposed to believe what we're supposed to believe and it generally had to do with black lives matter or how bad the United States of America is. Well, they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, that's kind of died down. And as that has died down, I've sort of peeked over the fence and started watching a little, you know, a little bit of sports again. I'll tell you, it really turned me off. I, I mean, as much as I love to watch sports, I just, you know, I said, forget it. I don't need to hear these spoiled brats telling me how bad this country is well they're living the dream i mean go to S- slovakia and see how it works out for you that's the way i felt so anyway i watched the super bowl yesterday i was didn't have any real you know connection to either team personally i didn't know anyone as far as i know that is with either team i have known a number of athletes in the past professional athletes pretty well But I didn't, but I did have, there was an interest there and kind of a connection, particularly here in the Northwest, particularly in Washington State. So I was sort of paying attention to someone I've never met and had never heard of, I don't think, until just a few weeks ago. What caught my attention of Cooper Cup, Cooper as in C. O-O-P-E-R and Cup as in K-U-P-P. That's his name. As in the case of Cooper Cup, I saw something that his wife said. It's kind of a Valentine story. She said, we have prayed for a season to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. That caught my attention. I thought this is a professional football player's wife saying this, playing for the Rams. She said that after they had won a game just a couple of weeks ago, that ensured that the Los Angeles Rams would play in the Super Bowl, on Super Bowl Sunday, which was yesterday. So I looked into that a little bit more, and I was interested to find that she and he were from Yakima. Wonderful people are born and raised in Yakima. And I know that. So I looked into it a little further. I found that he, Cooper, was born and raised in Yakima. And he, too, gives thanks to God for all good things. They're deeply committed. But the wife of this, he's a wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams. And um, he thanked the Lord after the game. And uh, he thanked his wife for all she has done in their marriage and in their relationship over the years. He played football at Eastern Washington University, but he graduated from Davis High School in Yakima. He was brought to the Rams to to play in the Super Bowl this year, but he was brought to the Rams earlier. He scored two touchdowns two weeks ago to get the Rams into the big game. His wife, Anna, describes herself on her social media as a child of the king. That caught my attention as well. I I like that a lot. She thanked God for all of his blessings in their professional life and in their personal life. She said this moment, two weeks ago, she said this moment, these moments, we thank God for every one of them. She wrote on Instagram. She said, We have prayed for a season to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is doing just that. She said, My lovely Cooper, (laughs) her husband. According to Sports Spectrum, who wrote a story on it, and then a lot of people are writing stories on it now, but they wrote a story about these two kids. They're not really kids. They're in their 20s, but (laughs) they're kids. Um, anyway, Spectrum wrote a story about him and, uh, they say Cooper shared that he instantly knew that Anna would someday become his wife when they met in high school. They met in high school as seniors during the track meet at Davis high school in Yakima, Washington. I knew that she was the one that I wanted to marry. He said, when I met her, they were 17 years old. He said, I knew I wanted to marry her. When we first met in high school, he went home that day and told his mom. He said, "Mom, I'm going to, mar- I'm going to marry that girl." Well, he did, and um, they proceeded with their life. They both say we were just so aligned in terms of what our goals were, and what we wanted uh, to do moving forward, and what we wanted to be about as a couple, and the belief that football was the community and was the place. Cooper says, that I was supposed to be. He said, that's where we were supposed to be. That's where God was placing us. He said, a lot of people ask, why did you guys get married so young? Didn't you feel you were missing out? Anna told ESPN, she said, you're telling them, no, we actually think the opposite. We feel so lucky to have found someone we love and cherish so so much so early in life. Cooper went on to become a four-time FCS All-American, that's college, set 15 college records, 52 collegiate games, gained 6,464 yards, a whole bunch of stats. But Cooper, who's 28 now, he reached new heights this season by being named a pro bowler and first, uh, first team all pro for the first time. So that was the run-up to yesterday. That's what the press was saying about yesterday. So yesterday, with what I've told you as a backdrop, I was paying attention to him. I was watching him. I thought, boy, that kid loves Jesus, and his wife loves Jesus, and I, was, I knew then what I just shared with you. And so I thought, boy, I hope they win. That would be great. There's Christians on both teams, and I understand the criticisms. I've been criticism, uh, criticized for saying things like I'm saying right now, but I don't I don't really care. I know there's teams on both sides playing. They will win. So why does God favor one? I, I know the argument, but aside with that, nonetheless, I knew about this kid, and I thought, well, I know he wants to glorify God, so Lord bless him. So I was kind of paying attention to him. But he proceeded Caught a couple of touch scored a couple of touchdowns yesterday in the Super Bowl but the thing that that really set him apart was the fact that he caught the pass that won the game, the last score of the game which caused his team to win and in addition to that he was given the most valuable player award for the game and he of course said very appropriately, he didn't go at it like in your face, but he, when they interviewed him and he was seen by more than 50 million households around the nation and the world, probably more than that even, but that was the initial count. But he was seen by tens and tens and tens of millions of people when he told about how important God is in his life and in his marriage. That's a pretty good Pretty good Valentine story as far as I'm concerned. As they talked more to the press, he said, well, while he was attending Eastern Washington University in Cheney, he said, he said Anna Marie worked at a restaurant to help pay for their college expenses. Cooper had simply become too tired from working his job to keep playing his best football. I supported us monetarily through college, Anna Marie says. I was working full time at a restaurant, so he didn't have to worry about anything except focusing on football, because we knew that's what God wanted us to do. Of course, he praises her for pushing him hard and doing all that she did to get him to the point where he is today. And he said this, finally, and then we'll move on. He said, at the very basic levels of my life as a husband, as a father, as a football player, knowing how much of a failure I am at these things, if it wasn't for my faith in Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for knowing that Christ has told me who I am in his eyes and know that how far short I fall in all these things, that he's bridged every gap, that he's called me to even greater things. That's. That's what winning is all about. It's not really about the score of a sports game, whether it's football or something else. It's really about having life figured out and knowing that we are all broken, sinners, and basically failures outside of God. We may succeed at certain things for a certain period of time, but ultimately, the ultimate test of life is where are we in a relationship with Almighty God? And if we do not have that relationship, our lives can never, ever be and will not be what God had intended them to be. And of course, there is the matter of eternity as well. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And that matter looms in front of all of us. These kids seem to have figured it all out. And they're serving the Lord with all their heart, with all their might. They're doing quite well. And they're giving the glory to God. That's a pretty good Valentine's story as far as I'm concerned. A story that is not so much of a Valentine's story in any way would be the Clintons, Bill and Hillary. But I got to talk a little bit about Hillary today. I, I don't really like to talk about her a great deal. I've never met her, but I just don't kind of don't like what she and her husband stand for. Remember the Durham probe? That was to look into the Clintons to see if there was any wrongdoing in the election back way back in 2016. To ensure the investigation would continue after Biden took office, then U.S. Attorney General Barr he gave U.S. Attorney General John Durham what's called special counsel status so his investigation could continue and Biden wouldn't be able to stop it. Well, it has. What many of us thought all along has been revealed, and it was revealed Friday, and that's why I need to talk about it. It's a kind of a major news story right now, and it's going to get bigger. You're going to be hearing a lot about this. The media, the mainstream media, will hustle to make this and bend it in a different direction. But it is pretty bad for the Clintons. He turned on the light. Durham stayed with his task. I don't know politically, I don't know where he's coming from, but he has done his job. And this stuff is starting to come out now, and it's facts. And the media can't take issue with it and say, well, that's misinformation. Well, it isn't, because they've done the research, they've spent the time, they've spent the money, and they're still working on it. But he put out a report on Friday. And it was the, the conservatives talked a lot about it over the weekend. The media, not so much. They were kind of quiet about it. They're avoiding the story, in fact, like the plague, because it has to do with Hillary and others whom they love. That's their Valentine story. William Durham probe was supposed to get to the origins of the Russian collusion probe. Remember that? Ancient history, several years ago. It had to do with Trump. As with any government investigation, it takes a lot of time, a lot of time. These investigations also splitter into various offshoots that take even more time. It's been under the radar all these months. I mean, most of us who get up every day and go to work and do what we have to do and look after the family and make ends meet financially and all of the stuff that we do, Man, we don't pay that much attention. When these things kind of go silent, we kind of forget about them. That's why I'm mentioning it today. The public has generally moved on. I suppose Hillary and her group were feeling pretty good about it. They thought they'd put all that behind them. They know what they did, of course. But after reviewing the report this weekend, Fox News says, quote, lawyers for the Clinton campaign paid a technology company to infiltrate servers belonging to Trump, uh, Trump Tower and later, belonging to the White House, in order to establish an interference and a narrative to bring to government agencies linking Donald Trump to Russia. The whole thing was made up. No wonder the media is so obsessed with misinformation, because they are colluding with the Clintons and others to create misinformation. Lies. The probe is continuing as it nears the top of the power pyramid. And as these things go, the further they go into these kinds of, Watergate was that way, and finally Nixon resigned over it. And many are saying, not just conservatives, but many. People that are consider themselves moderate, or even some on the left are saying, <clears throat> this is a bigger deal than Watergate was. So as this continues, it's getting closer and closer to the, top of the pyramid power in America, of the left, which certainly Hillary and Obama's and all those guys are part of it. Joe Biden, of course. What else did they do? They have already shown Durham in his investigation has found evidence that Hillary Clinton has broken the law. What they did is illegal. You can't do that in America. It continues. We'll see what happens. But on this report on Friday, it's very revealing. In February of 2021, just a year ago, Associated Press reported that with some concern, they were kind of suggesting that maybe Barr shouldn't have given Durham that special counsel status so he could continue this probe about the Trump presidency into the Biden presidency. They knew more than they had reported, I think. Fox News summarized Durham's filing on Friday with this, and I'll share just a little bit of what they said. Lawyers for the Clinton campaign paid a technology company to infiltrate servers belonging to the Trump Tower, later the White House. Durham filed a motion on February 11th, that was Friday, focused on potential conflicts of interest related to the representation of former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, who has been charged with making a false statement to a federal agent. Sussman has pleaded not guilty. The indictment against Sussman says he told then-FBI General Counsel James Baker in September of 2016, less than two months before the 2016 presidential election, that he was not doing work for any client, when he requested and held a meeting in which he presented purported data and white papers that allegedly demonstrated a covert communications channel between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, which has ties, very strong ties, ownership ties, to the Kremlin. But Durham's filing on Friday, this past Friday, in a section titled Factual Background, it reveals that Sussman had assembled and conveyed the allegations to the FBI on behalf of at least two specific clients, including a technology company, which they call in the report Tech Executive One at a U.S.-based internet company, and they call that company, they don't name it, but it's a, they call it Internet Company One and the Clinton campaign. And it goes on to say that uh, the internet company that Tech One executive worked for had come to access and maintain dedicated servers that President Trump had for his exclusive use as a candidate and then as a president. So this spanned, they not only were illegally surveilling him, exactly as he said, and I'm I'm not defending Trump for a moment. I'm talking about liberty and I'm talking about corruption. I mean, Trump can defend himself, but what he said is now what Durham is saying. They were doing that stuff. What he said, they were spying on him. And Trump, you know, he he repeats himself often, and he sometimes doesn't speak with as much clarity as others do. But he was right. They were. And now it's all coming out. Hillary Clinton has been caught red-handed. I mean, that's the bottom line of this. As they continue this thing, they're finding now that checks were written through um, her law firm, I mean, it's amazing what's coming out. They repeatedly build the Clinton campaign, not these other guys, but her campaign, her political campaign for the work that they were doing to expose Trump on something that was entirely fabricated, a story that probably would have destroyed most any other person and Most say it certainly impacted the election that Joe Biden won this last election. But will this really mean anything? I mean, again, I, I don't want to be cynical. I know you don't want to be either. We, we don't want to be, God doesn't want us to be but I, I I had to lean back in my chairs. I I read through volumes of this stuff. I've just shared a little bit of it with you and that, and, and it's plenty. I know, but, You have to ask yourself, is anything going to come of this? I mean, will it matter, ultimately? I mean, all of us are held to the law, but these people seem like often they're not. The Daily Caller reported on Saturday that this former chief investigator of the Trump-Russian probe, the House intelligence, he definitively showed that Hillary Clinton directly funded and ordered her lawyers of her campaign, Perkins Coy, to orchestrate a criminal enterprise. Second Peter chapter two, verse nineteen says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man, or a woman, I would add, is overcome. We don't have to look far to find historical counts where corruption brought down a nation just prior to the fall of Rome. There was so much corruption that few po- political leaders even bothered to hide it. They didn't even give a pretense of trying to do the right thing. They laughed and joked. It's all a matter of record. They laughed and joked about people who believed what they said. It was a joke. Yet that in that period, during that period, Paul wrote to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 1 that we know well, instructing them to, quote, I wish he wouldn't have said this. No, this is God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities in those kinds of times that are much like our times. Peter and the apostles had given the one exception. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when government attempts to override God's commandments, quote, we must obey God rather than man. Otherwise, we are to submit to government. I mean, that's God's plan. But in America, God has given us this wonderful gift of freedom and liberty, and we get to vote. And that's, I, I got to leave you with that today. Yes, there are consequences to these kinds of things. Legal, we'll see. But spiritual, I know there is. It's called prayer. First Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And there's another opportunity that we have that many don't in the world. One, it's called prayer. Everybody has that opportunity, but we have number two. It's called voting. And we get to vote in America. I'll tell you these next couple of elections that are coming up, the midterm this year and in two years, 24 short months from this fall, a presidential election. We better show up, and we better vote, and we better get it right, because much, much hangs in the balance, and we are accountable to God. To whom much is given, much is required. Thank you for your support of this ministry. If you feel that it is helpful and is making a difference, I would encourage you to help us financially. We need your help. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow.